Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, automotive world? This is Sean Tipping with another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Before we get started with the content for this episode, I wanted to remind everyone that if you would like to get entered for the one-year anniversary giveaway, uh, and this giveaway is going to be a U-scope for a new or evolving technician in the field, uh, you need to get your name entered by the end of this week. Check out the Facebook group. All the details are posted in there, and I'll have all of the details in the show notes for this podcast. Uh, But this podcast is going to go out on Monday the 11th, and you have until Friday the 15th to enter your name. The drawing will be on January 16th at 2 p.m., and I will contact you via email or Facebook Messenger if your name is chosen from the pot. All right, with that said, I've got another guest joining me on the show today, Robert Silverstein, aka Dutch. Dutch is a shop owner from North Carolina, and he is a very passionate guy who is also a huge advocate for our industry, improving the automotive industry. And he's going to share some stuff with us today about how a technician can increase their knowledge of shop operation and how in turn that is going to benefit them as a technician now and in the future. Now, just as a warning before we get into the interview, Dutch is a very passionate guy. He, he really does truly have a lot of passion about bettering this industry. And uh, that comes through with a little bit of profanity at certain points in this podcast. So, just so you know, uh, there are some swear words. So if you got kids in the car or something, uh, you know, earmuffs or whatever else you need to do, but you have been warned. Otherwise, this is a great interview. So I'm excited. Let's jump right in. Well, uh, how's it going for you? Um, how's, how's life for you? Uh, North Carolina, is that where you're at? Yeah, we're, I'm in uh, Charlotte, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you know, I'm grateful for that, which we have. Um, we're down a little bit. Like I think um, the last survey I saw said that 92 or 93 shops reporting a loss of revenue. Um, so we're down, but um, we're I'm making all my bills, which is fine. Paying the guys, still able to put money back. It's just not as much as I had been in the past. And that I think is a direct result of people simply not driving. We would see people three and four times a year for services. And instead of driving a thousand miles a month, some of our regulars are calling me up and go Dutch. You know, I I put 5,000 miles on in the last nine months, you know, since this thing started, what do I do? So. 
Yeah. Uh, when I'm out driving around, it's so weird. I'm all, almost gotten used to it now, but the traffic there, there, there is none. You know, yeah. I, I do a mobile thing where I go around uh, and I'll be down in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And, you know, traditionally speaking, as long as I've been driving, you always hit traffic at one point or another. And there, there really isn't any stop and go traffic unless there's an accident or something nowadays. Um, it, it's It's strange, but I think it does just go to show how much less people are actually getting out and driving around right now. Yeah. I got a quick, quick, Oh, all right. Stand by one. Let me see if the, Oh, there you go. Hey, there you are. There you are. You know, this was an ESO problem, equipment superior to operator. I failed <laughs> to click the, uh, the video button. There you go. Not that you want to look at my smiling countenance. Well, uh, anyway. actually, uh, a question though, what, uh, what camera do you have? I'm just using my laptop one and it obviously looks like crap, but I, I'm looking to upgrade. You, you have a really nice picture on that. Um, this is a, it just goes, it's a Logitech um, webcam. It okay. wasn't that expensive. Um, so I think it's because it, my office is pretty fairly well lit. Okay. You know, that might make a difference. But. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've just been doing the audio only. I've had some people request to, you know, have it on YouTube, but, uh, you know, then I got to try to look presentable. <laughs> if I do audio only, I can be in my pajamas and nobody yeah. knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's it. I like the uh, the audio format. No question about it, because really when it comes down to it, I'm just not a handsome man. And you, you, this is not, nobody wants to look at me, you know, for like 30 minutes or an hour. You know, people have to eat dinner. This will kill their appetite. People that already have eaten will want to upchuck, and then their wives will get angry with them because they're vomiting on the floor. And then it, it, it's, you know, it contributes to marital strife. So I, I, I don't want to break up any marriage by having anybody have to look at me whilst they're eating. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody appreciates that. What, it, I always said I got a face for radio, so I, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's it. You know, and my father, God rest his soul, was a photographer uh, taking pictures of, you know, weddings, graduation, stuff like that. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, there are certain people, certain people that the camera is really, really kind to. Pause. You're not one of them. <laughs> so it was like, okay, that's why there's like six pictures from my childhood when I was growing up, you know. What, well, I got to ask, um, mm -hmm. you, you got nicknamed Dutch. Right. What's the story behind that? There is, is there a story? All right. Yeah. For a while, um, my chosen profession, I was, uh, I was an airline pilot. So what happened was, the carrier that I was flying for had the FK-28, which was an airplane that was made in the Netherlands. It was a, a twin turbojet airplane. Okay. And um, the airline that bought us, Piedmont, was the, at that time the largest 737 operator in the free world. So the Piedmont pilots used to have a, a button that they would put underneath their lapel. And when they saw any of us Empire guys, they would flip the button over and it said, if if it's not a Boeing, I'm not a going. So I had a button that said, if it's not Dutch, it's not much. And then I got the name Dutch as the moniker and I wore it ever since. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was it. So That's if it's not Dutch, it's not much. 
<laughs> awesome. So you flew for like commercial airliners and yes. everything then. Yeah. Um, anything, anything else like single prop or smaller airplanes? Oh, you know, you, you start out um, with single engine. You know, I started out with Cessna 172s and Cherokee 140s. You have to work your way up the ladder. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Can't yeah. just hop into the big boy. <laughs> no, not well, if you had like Bill Gates money, you might be able to buy one. But aside from that, no, you got to work your way up. Okay. How long did you do that for, for the commercial airlines? years? Well, oh, wow. yeah, for a combined 20 years. Okay. Wow. Um, so, you know, when I was younger, I used to really enjoy flying a lot, uh, you know, going on, you know, a commercial airliner and I even went skydiving. It, it was a single prop plane. And the scariest part was hanging out the side of the plane <laughs> before they, they push you out. But I, it was, it was a rush. I really enjoyed it. And Strangely enough, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've developed an anxiety to flying. And I think it has something to do with getting into the diagnostic world in cars and seeing all sorts of really weird electrical problems. And I'm sitting in the plane and, you know, we're 30,000 feet and, you know, the plane starts shaking or I hear some motors moving around. I'm like, what's that? What if that module locks up? What if that network doesn't (laughs) work right? And I never had that when I was older and now I have it when I'm in my thirties. I just thought that was very strange. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if, if cars were built with the same sense of uh, system redundancy, that aircraft transport category airplanes were built with, you'd buy one car and you'd pass it down for three generations because um, it's amazing the amount of redundancy that's on board and the steps that are needed for A&P's airframe and power plant mechanics that they have to go through every time they complete a repair. Okay. You know, so that's, I was more concerned about the drive to the airport and having to go through strip search through TSA than I was, you know, because really it's only going to get to a point I'm going to take off so much and then people are just going to point and laugh, man. I mean, that, that's really <laughs> all that, that's going on there. Um, so, no, I was more concerned about the drive because people suck um, at driving. Yeah. Right. You know, especially down here in the South where driving is a contact sport. <laughs> Well, it gets a little slippery up here in Minnesota, so you never know yeah. what you're going to run into out there. <laughs> yeah. So, so everything everything has a, a system or a component to back up in case something yeah. fails. Okay. Multiple redundant systems. Um, gotcha. And that's that's where really my love of mechanics and my uh, being a systems junkie in in airline terminology, guys like me are systems junkies. So that really was very, very helpful because I obtained the maintenance manuals for the airplanes that I had piloted so that I could go through um, and understand how the systems worked because part of the testing that you went through is you went through several written exams in preparation to take your your, uh, FAA examination. Then the FAA exam was an oral exam where an examiner could sit you down in a room and it could take up to theoretically six hours. And then if you pass that, you would go on to the flight portion of it in the simulator. Um, But we had to do things like you would slide a a piece of blank piece of paper over and say, okay, now what I want you to do is diagram the electrical system, diagram the aux bus system, tell me how it works. Um, And that really, 
the only way to do that is to know the systems. Because yeah. if you were wrong, he wouldn't tell you you were wrong. Okay. So you had to figure out how to answer him as directly as possible without giving him too much information. And the old expression was, if an FAA examiner asks you what time it is, don't build him a watch. Because they would let you dig yourself in a hole until there was no way that you could extricate yourself. And then it was over. You, you flunked that portion of it and you'd have to go back. Yeah. Um, I, I teach at a community college for the automotive program here and obviously very different, you know, getting examined to fly a plane, but sometimes I'll have a student who will give an answer and they'll give the correct answer and then they'll keep going and they'll keep going and they'll make it totally wrong. I'm like, just stop. You were, you were ahead. You had everything. And then you had, had to add on all these other things to it that made the the answer incorrect. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's just good to <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, That's what I had actually hoped that my goal was that I always wanted to see the ASCs become the same as rigorous as the exams that I had to take when I was piloting airplanes, um, because that way it consisted of theory and practical application. You know, you couldn't go out to, to buy a study guide, study the study guide, take a written test and then walk on a 737 and go, okay, guys, <laughs> I've been in aviation for two years. Come yeah. on aboard. You know, right, and it doesn't right. work that way, you know? So, yeah, I mean, uh, could you imagine at the moment what that would do to the industry if that if that sort of, you know, that level was required of technicians uh, tomorrow, it would be that would be a massive problem, I think. Well, it would be a massive problem, uh, certainly. Um, But what it would the long term is that it would elevate technician pay. Because techs are vastly underpaid. They're vastly underpaid for what they do. And um, the only way that, and if we're going to be candid, if we're going to be really honest about it, techs do, a a large part of this is because of what guys do to themselves by having a hero complex and by doing side work. If If you're at a shop and your shop rate is $135 an hour, and you've run the numbers, so that's what you need to make in order to be able to pay the bills, pay your staff a good wage, and make a pre-tax net operating profit that allows you to continue to grow the business and, and have savings and fulfill your dreams as an owner. Every time somebody goes out and does side work and charges somebody 35 bucks, they're setting an expectation in the market that that's a fair price and that the shop is ripping them off. So for me, um, you know, I understand a man's got to feed his family or a woman has to feed her family. And, and, and if the, the work is slow in their, in their shop and they have bills that are pay, I get that. You have to do what's necessary to feed your family. On the same token, there's a price to be paid. Every time you wind up doing that, you're setting ex- the public's expectations. You don't hey, see you're a, setting that bottom dollar lower than it was prior to that point. Right. And so, so now someone who says, you know, th- there's a shop who's going to charge a hundred dollars per flat hour, you know, a hundred dollar labor rate 
to do this, but Joe up the street, he'll do it on nights and weekends and he'll do it for 45 bucks. Mm-hmm. How does that, it may benefit Joe to get that job because he needs it, right? He's got a family to feed, but how does that help Joe long-term? Cause he's cutting his own throat. Yeah. Unless he opens up his own shop. But then, he's, but then he's got then he's got to up that rate, right? Right, because there's no way that he's going to be able to run that shop, a real shop, on forty five bucks an hour. Right. Yeah. Once yeah. once you're the one with the overhead and yep. paying employees and and everything insurance else, insurance and yep. you know subscriptions, um, tooling and equipment. You know, it's it's kind of funny because most of the guys that I know want to consider themselves that are techs as professionals, as well they should. This is an incredibly hard job. It's hard on the body. Um, those that are more than just parts changers have to use a lot of knowledge to be able to do what they do, right? Okay. So if you want to compare yourself to a professional, do you ever see a doctor saying, well, listen, if you come to my office, I'm going to have to charge you 200 bucks for this. But if you come to the house, we can do this at the kitchen table or I'll come to your house at the kitchen table for 40% off. <laughs> That's not what professionals do. Right. And, it, it, and even with architects or with accountants or, you know, this, if you want to be considered to be a professional to earn the wage that you should earn, there's some behaviors that you're going to need to adopt in order to do that. Well, okay. So I got, I got two questions on, on that note. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, why do you think that is present within the automotive industry where we don't necessarily see it elsewhere? I'm sure there are other examples, but you know, you mentioned doctors and architects, they don't do, they don't moonlight. And how do, how do we break that cycle? What, what would be the, the fix? And maybe that's a, maybe that's a big question. I don't know, but these are things that are popping into my head here. For me, the, the, the fix is, um, and this is either going to make people very happy or is it really going to piss people off, which is okay either way, um, is to eliminate the flat rate system. Okay. I want flat rate gone. Um, I'm not saying that you should not reward productivity. I absolutely believe in rewarding productivity. But flat rate for me and the guys that I know that are dealer techs and on the boards that I'm on, they're complaining that they went to the dealer and they were the problem solver, right? They were the guy that was given the science projects and the problem was the front half of the house wasn't selling the, the diagnostic testing time. So a guy's working longer and he sees that the guy who's doing the timing belt water pumps is making more of a check than he is because he's knocking him out because he's so efficient in his jobs. So then more than one guy has told me, you know, I just dummied up, said I didn't know so I could go back to making more money. So what I want to see happen is I think guys should be paid commensurate with their skills and ability that they have to prove. Okay. Right. And if you want, I want to be able to say, and first of all, if a guy says, Hey, look, I'm earning $30 an hour, right? Let's assume the guys are in 30 hours. And he says, well, that's 50 hours a week. That's 1500 bucks. He thinks what his employer's paying is $1,500. Depending on the benefits that he has, the debt load can be up to 35%. But he, because of FICA, FUDA, SUDA, right? If he mm-hmm. has vacation time that he has to get paid, right? Either a week or two weeks, if he has paid days off, 
paid time off, any of the things that the, the uniform expense, when you ask, start adding insurance, if it's available, when you start adding all these things, these things up and then dividing them into the hours that he can work per, uh, per year, you can see that his rate is not the 30 bucks that he thinks it is. Right. So what I want to see happen is I want guys, in, in my eyes, there should not be an A-level tech that um, should not be clearing six figures. Okay. And I don't want the guy to have to log 90 hours a week to do it. We both know uh, guys that are machines. I mean, they are flat out in 20, you know, I got one of my guys here. He can turn 24, 25 hours a day. As long as I have network, he will bust it out. Yep. But it's at the end of the week, he's toast. He's physically spent and, and mentally drained. Well, can you have a guy running at 100 hours a week if it's not doing flushes, if it's doing real work, right? Right. Can you have right. a guy do real labor for 100 hours a week and expect to get 10 years out of this guy doing that? Yeah, it's it it's a for that if you're going to operate like that it's a young man's game. Yep. Uh, and, and I can personally attest to that. I was at Firestone for 7 years and pretty much all in my 20s and it, yeah, we would have you know great weeks where we're cranking out 20 hours a day or 100 hours a week and that that's when flat rate seems like why would you do anything else but it does take a toll on you. It takes a toll on your body and your personal time too, because a lot of times there's more work, more money. And I guess we'll just stay here and keep working. I'll stay a little late tonight. I'll come in a little early today. Um, so definitely encourage you to, <laughs> you to be there more often. But yeah, it's it is tough on your body to operate at that clip consistently all the time when you're like you said doing real work, engines, transmissions, front end work. But back to your other point, that's where the money is on flat rate diagnostics. You know, you might get lucky here and there where you get paid one five and it's a simple, easy problem, but then you're going to get one that takes you two hours and, and you're losing out money when somebody just busted out a set of ball joints on something else and got paid, you know, five hours for the same, you know, the same, same amount, amount of time. time. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you know, and, and let's, let's be honest. All right. Let's be brutally honest about this. Flat rate is great when there's work. For the guy that's a, a true production tech who's doing, who's very familiar and can, can beat time, it's a wonderful thing to happen. Human beings are, however, weak in my estimation. And when things are slow and now he has to worry about making his mortgage or his car payment, then temptation sets in. And depending on his or her moral compass, and where it resides, things can be recommended which are not necessarily needed. This is the reason why, as an industry, we have earned, it's not that we got mistakenly, but we have earned such a lousy reputation as an industry. People don't trust us. And the reason they don't trust us is because we fail to communicate and because of a system that encourages production above all else. I don't have flat rate in my shop. I don't have straight flat rate in my shop. 
I don't have a commission structure in my shop. I won't have it. I don't think my service writers, they get paid a, a flat salary. And as long as they keep margins, gross profit margin above certain targets, they can make more money. But if you come in and say, hey, I want um, to put air in my tires or, hey, I just won the lottery. Can you completely rebuild grandma's Plymouth Fury for me? They don't make any more money on that. They're not rewarded for upselling. They're rewarded for doing their job to the best of their ability and meeting certain benchmarks that I have established. So it takes the money out of the equation. This way, if, if the economy's great, great. If it sucks, guess what? I can still feed my family. I'm still off on the weekends. This kind of stuff is important. Yeah. Yeah, that life balance is something that definitely gets missed a lot. I, I mean, I saw that, you know, my experience was at Firestone. It's a chain store. And they're all about that bottom dollar, that profit, those numbers. You got to get better and better, infinite growth. And, um, there was no, they, they'd mentioned it, but there really was no work-life balance, you know, from corporate or our, you know, area leaders or whatever. It was just, how do we hit those numbers? How, how do we get there? And, you know, they, they'd plaster the, it was the turning and burning for the, the twin cities metro area and they put all the technicians with the highest amount of flat rate from that week so they're they're making it even more of a competition than it already is because it's your paycheck but if you got to see your name up there you're like oh cool i'm up to i'm in the top five of the area okay cool i'll work harder this week <laughs> you know and uh but that's the culture there for sure and i always i always thought it would be really cool if there was something and i'm not smart enough to figure out how to do this, but that would reward technicians on quality work and accurate diagnosis and repair that you get paid more. If you do the, the diagnosis correctly and repair correctly, that, that in somehow that benefits you, that's your commission. And wouldn't that make for a more satisfied customer across the board? If somehow that existed, who knows, maybe it does. I don't run a shop. It, so. <laughs> it, it, it does exist in a bonus structure. In other okay. words, um, if you have the, the, the way that we have it set up is if you're a, a tech and you install a part and the part is defective, okay, not through no fault of your own, you didn't do anything wrong. The part was just a piece of crap because I don't know, it was a doorman. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those don't fail ever. Those are always good. They're awesome. They never <laughs> fail, right? Um, what happens is the tech gets paid to do the job again. It wasn't his fault. Okay. If it was something that he did, then he gets to do that job again. If there's proof that it was something that he did, he gets to do that job again without pay because I'm not going to pay for somebody's mistakes. If it, you know, especially carelessness, incapacity, and neglect are the things that we cannot afford in this industry to do. People will get legitimately hurt and or dead if we don't pay attention. I mean, that's the reality of what we need to do, what we need to face. Okay. So if you go through uh, every three months, six months or a year, and you start looking at your warranty work and you say, okay, we took in X amount of hours. We did, we build X amount of hours for this period. 
and out of which we had less than a certain percentage of warranty comebacks that were technician cost. Okay, not part cost, but technician cost. Everybody gets a bonus. Okay. Right? So that way, you know, and, and the bonus can be monetary if the guys want it, or the bonus can be, hey, you got your uh, scanner and it's going to cost you $700 to update it. If we can do this three quarters in a row, four quarters, your update's free. Okay, I gotcha. You know, it really depends on what the guy wants, right? Um, I started a program here and, and we've suspended it because they didn't know what was going on with this COVID pandemic stuff of profit sharing. Okay. Right. So if you have profit sharing in this and, you know, a retirement plan, that means you're rewarding the type of behavior you want to get. Yeah. And it gives some, the technician, some skin in the game too, as far as the business side of things, which it's definitely not always top of mind for your average tech. I mean, I know it wasn't for me, you know, I wanted to do my job and (laughs) make some money and I didn't care about the bills for the, you know, the, the shop owner, but you give them that incentive and uh, then they're, they're a part of it. You know, they're, they're going to be a part of that business more than they were before. Look, you know, you're either, you either have to, from a management side and I grew up differently than what guys are having now. Okay. Either you're going to be part of the team or you're not. Okay. Either you're going to foster a team type of environment. Hey, listen guys, let's talk about this. Let's see what we can do better. Uh, I'm in this with you. Or you're going to have a dictatorial system, which is what I came up with when I worked for, um, you know, I was a, I started out in small engine repair when I was younger for Sears and then worked to move in the floor where the, the shop boss came over and says, you're going to do this and this and this. And we've got eight break jobs that you're going to wind up doing per eight hour shift. You're going to have one. And that time we were rebuilding calipers. You didn't go out and buy them. You rebuilt them. And, and you were supposed to wind up doing um, a single axle disc brake setup uh, and you rebuilt wheel cylinders too in an hour. And you had, and, and there was no, let's talk about it. This is what we need. This, no, was, this is what I expect you to do. You're getting a paycheck and you turn around and walk away. That's, you know, that's the way I grew up. That's, that was that type of environment. I appreciate that, but the younger guys don't seem to get that. They push back against it. So for me, I want techs to know how business works. If a tech knows how business works, he can better understand where his paycheck is coming from, where the expenses are going to, but it requires a certain level of openness by management. I'm not saying you have to take the books and say, okay, let's look at my personal tax return, but you should be able to explain, you know, if, if you ask the average technician, my experience, maybe I'm completely wet. Can you tell me the difference between markup and margin? They have no idea because they, you know, so someone says, well, yeah, okay. So I bought it for 10 bucks and I got a 60% uh, margin in. So I'm selling it for 16. No. If you bought it for 10 and you got 60% markup, you're selling it for 16. If you want a 60% gross profit margin on your $10, that part's going to cost 25 bucks. 
because they don't understand the math. So there's, there's a lot that's there that, you know, markup margin, what's a balance sheet? What's a PL? You know, what do these things mean? What are key performance indicators? What is it that we should be looking for? How come during diagnostics, the, the rate at the shop is 1.54 times higher than our normal labor rate? What is an effective labor rate? These are things so that guys can understand. Once they understand the bigger picture, you got problem-solving techs that want to solve the problem, and they buy into it because ultimately it's in their best interest to do it. A business that is well-run makes more money, more money that can be distributed to its team members. More money means we can bank more money so we can be around in three, five, ten. I'm in 21 years, 22 years of business. You know, how do you the- um, how do you educate your technicians on this? I mean, do you hold just like a class, or is it just an ongoing thing where you're sharing this with them, or what's your strategy there? Yeah, I, I don't I don't hide stuff. I'm not I'm not trying to be secretive. What I've done is there are classes that they can take, they, they're welcome to go with me, unless the uh, coach that's giving or the presenter says, listen, this is just for owners, or this is just for owners and managers. Um, if, it's, if it's a financial class, first of all, a lot of webinars, especially now, but before that, because I press so hard for training, I'd send them, they can go if they want to go. If they have questions, you know, then they can ask me. The example that, that I give is this, because when I first started, um, some of my guys like, you know, we really need to get an alignment machine. You have to get an alignment machine, and they use a formula. Okay, so the alignment machine costs X amount of dollars, and um, you take how much I'm going to wind up making on that job, at their, my cost, and you divide that in, and you find that, ta-da, after the 10th or 11th alignment for that month, we're where the machine's covered. And that's not how it works at all. Unless you've budgeted for that alignment machine, which most shop owners don't do. Most shop owners are not, they don't budget. If you, if you, if your business had a 10% pre-tax net operating profit, which means at the end of the year, December 31st, every other bill that that business had was completely paid everything except for taxes. So it's, if you had, a $500,000 business, you did $500,000 in gross revenues for the year. And at the end of the year, you had $50,000, assuming you started January 1st with $0. At the end of the year, December 31st at 11.59, you had $50,000 in the bank. You would have a 10% pre-tax and operating profit, right? Okay, because you start, you had 500000 you wind up with 50, means you're getting to keep a dime out of every dollar that comes in. Okay. okay, so if you have a 10% pre-tax not operating profit and your alignment machine costs $30,000, how much gross revenue do you have to pay or earn in addition to what you've already had to pay for that machine? Remember, you're only keeping a, a dime out of every dollar you have. Cost you uh, thirty. Yeah, I, I'm not good at math in my head. So. No worries. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm a mechanic, right? <laughs> well, you can do Ohm's Law in your head, so it's sure, not sure. a big deal. Sure, um, sure. So, so if you had 
a 10% pre-tax net operating profit and an alignment machine cost you $30,000 and you hadn't budgeted for it at the beginning of the year, you uh-huh. have to generate another $300,000 in gross revenue to pay for that machine. Wow. Now, you're not going to do that in one year, obviously. You're going to break that down over several years. You're going to amortize that out over several years. But then again, you have maintenance that you have to add, right? Because stuff's mm-hmm. going to break. Yeah. How about software updates? Yep. So why not start out and buy that alignment machine used? Make some money. See, when a, a lot of guys that, that I know, you know, and it happened to me when I was working the floor. If I only had this, man, I could be faster. If I only had this, I could do this and knock this job out. And man, this would be great. And then you get it for that one job and you don't see that son of a bitch again, ever. I got tools like that. I definitely know how that goes. (laughs) Right? So when when you do something like that, you're like, holy crap. Yeah, I, I got paid for that job, but what happened to that tool? I don't use it anymore. So there's no return on investment, is there? Nope. Yeah, I can think of uh, several tools in my toolbox that uh, only have uh, a couple uses because either either I needed them for something or it was a uh, really smooth salesman uh, on that Snap-on truck that came in. He's like, oh boy, you're going to use this thing all the time. It's going to be so useful. (laughs) And uh, it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, Yeah. And that I'm a tool junkie. So, I, you know, I'm just a tool junkie. So if something comes out, it's like, oh, squirrel, you know, something shiny. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've, I've got, um, it's a sickness. It, it, it really is. But once I started to look at it as, with very few exceptions, there's still some things that, that I do, which are not wise, absolutely not smart. But, you know, I got a habit. So, <laughs> but, I, but I cut down a lot uh, of what I used to do before. Um, going back to your main point about technicians understanding this sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, your alignment rack example and, and the numbers, there is a direct benefit. Well, maybe it's indirect, but there is a benefit for the technician to understand this side of things that otherwise they, who cares? I don't need to know, but can you, can you put that into, Maybe some simple terms. How how is that going to benefit them? Obviously, it's probably going to be more pay. But what is understanding that aspect of the business going to do for them? Why should they take the time to understand this sort of thing? Well, the thing is that if you can have really great techs, I mean, stellar, stellar diagnosticians, stellar techs that are fast, that seldom make mistakes, who have who are ambitious, and they want to one day strike out on their own. They want to open up the shop themselves. Well, there is, um, and what happens is you get a guy who's really good at what he does, right? He's a tech. He's really good at it. Shows up every day, busts the stuff out, has very, very few comebacks. He's got it and he's earning money. And all he says to himself is, you know, look how much money I'm earning for that guy up front. I can do this myself. I'm really good at what I do. I can handle a scope easy enough. This is not a problem for me. There's nothing I can't handle. And he goes out and he launches to, because he's been doing it, let's say on the side. He's like, this uh-huh. is not a big deal. Okay. Then he goes in and he gets in where he, now he wants to run a full-time business and his confidence, he's a little overconfident and in, in um, 
in psychology, there's a term it's called Dunning-Kruger, which is that your confidence in one area leads you to believe that you're better at something than you actually are. So a lot of these guys, and this is what I'm real big on in the auto shop owners group, a lot of these, most of the shop owners came in as techs and their biggest complaint is, you know, I, I'm great with cars, but I'm lousy with business. I, I don't get this. I don't get this. And what happens is um, they confuse being busy right? Boy, we're busy. We are busy, 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 but they're not making any money. And they don't understand why they're going wide out. I mean, they're wide open, man, right? They got cars that they're turning away work for, for, you know, Hey, listen, we're booking two weeks out. I'm here till 11 o'clock every night. I get here at six o'clock in the morning and at the end of the month, there's no effing money. And they don't understand why, because they don't understand how to charge. They don't understand where their money's going. So if the, a tech is ambitious and he wants to work for himself, he has to know what he's going to face before he gets there so that he can prepare for it, right? It's the same as if a, a tech is going to work on a vehicle he's never worked on before and it has a problem, he's going to look in Mitchell or in all data, right? Or if he needs to go identify, he's going to look at theory of operation, how does this work? He's going to check out a wiring diagram to familiarize himself with how the system works. Well, a lot of guys, when it comes to business, they just jump in with both feet. <laughs> and it, I mean, when I started, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that my ignorance has cost me tens of thousands of dollars. Because for my time, I was a pretty good diagnostician. It wasn't the best there was. But my shop, my, when I was doing it by myself and had a helper, built a reputation of fixing cars that other shops couldn't. And you like patting yourself on the back, right? Hey, 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 this is great. But I soon discovered one of the pitfalls of diagnostic time was that unless you were going to charge for it appropriately and you could relay that information to the customer so that they could see value in it, you could be the best diagnostician in the world and you were going broke. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the guy that's doing ball joints, the guy that's doing timing belts, the guy that's uh, doing wallet flush-a-thons is tunning it. And you're wondering, this guy don't have a fifth of the skill I have. Why is he making more money than me? You have to understand the business if you're going to strike out on your own. And if you want to help your employer make more money, which will ultimately mean if the guy's a decent person and not a shit, that you'll make more money. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is uh, what if you work for a business owner who doesn't understand this stuff, which obviously there's plenty of those people out there. I mean, how how do you help them help themselves? (laughs) Uh, If you're a technician, maybe it starts with where, where would an average tech go if they wanted to learn more of this stuff? Um, Like what do you, what do you do? There's plenty of, of uh, resources online for this kind of stuff. Okay. They're, 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 you know, um, you don't have to be a shop owner in order to learn this. There's one of the groups that um, ASOG has, the Auto Shop Owners Group, and it's starting an automotive shop. And it's Facebook group. Okay. okay. And these, these are open up to primarily technicians and people who want to start their own uh shop they don't necessarily have one or they've just started and they're looking for help so yeah you know one of the things that 
we do is we can create files and file sections. We answer questions. Um, there's a lot of information that, that is available for it. And if a guy's a shop owner, he may or may not want, you, you, let's be honest, he may or may not want to know that he's floundering. He's, right. He has his head down, one foot in front of the other, and at the end of the month, he's got enough to cover his bills, and oh, it'll get better, it'll, it'll get better. If he's receptive to it, then you would refer him to the uh, Auto Shop Owners Group, which is a Facebook group. It's a 501c3 educational foundation, not-for-profit. Nobody's charging you jack. Okay, so um, that owner would go and answer a few questions, whether he agrees to abide by the rules and can provide proof that it's a legitimate business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he goes in and starts looking in the file sections for documents, talking to people, seeing what's going on. That's the, uh, it started out just as a straight Facebook group. Uh And uh, we found so many shops that needed help that we've recently become uh, a 501c3 uh, organization, educational founded nonprofit. So there's no coaches and we don't allow any vendors there. No coaches are hanging out in the background trying to, to uh, um, data mine membership or any of that sort of stuff. Owners had to have a place that they could go that they could turn to another owner and go, Jesus Christ, I'm lost without getting somebody laughing at them. And uh, the uh, uh, Lucas Underwood and David Roman, they have mm-hmm. a podcast, which uh, correlates with that group as well. I was actually, I was on there uh, it was a month or so ago, and then I had Lucas on this show as well. And he's a, he's a great guy and really smart and running a good shop. So yeah, he's in that group and, and lots of other really smart people as well uh, who know all kinds of stuff about uh running a shop. So yeah, Yeah, definitely check that out. That podcast is, is awesome. Um, it's available on YouTube. You don't have to be a member of anything. All right. Um, and they're, you know, interviewing industry people, uh, the the only idea and that the podcast is free. If you wanted to become a, a, a patron, you could to be able to voluntarily contribute there's no cost associated with it as a patron you would make a monthly contribution of anywhere from three to nine dollars to hear bonus content but the primary content is absolutely free and it's non-advertising it's you know we we have coaches business people everybody on there whose whose mission is simply to improve the industry how the hell can you beat that right yeah it's it it feels really good to uh, know uh growing number of people who are out there to make this industry better. Um, And I know from everybody I've talked with, you know, this is my first time meeting you, but everyone holds you in very high regard. And I know that you do a lot for this industry too. And that's really cool. I mean, what, what's the driving force behind that for you? Everybody complains about the automotive industry, how, you know, so crappy and, you know, there's so many problems, but obviously you see something worth working towards and making better about the auto industry. Because it's a noble, a noble profession, man. You're helping people and you don't deserve to be treated like crap for, for wanting to do that. You know, I, I come from a long my family were teachers. My mother was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. My grandfather was, you know, um, and education means everything to me. So 
I find that because I live a very modest lifestyle, right? I mean, <laughs> newest car in my driveway is a 2013 Toyota RAV4. I, I don't have an airplane. I don't have a boat. You know, I live in a small house that I bought 20, oh, Jesus, that's a long time ago. Anyway, um, <laughs> in, in, in 1990, I, I don't, so I spend my money. I don't invest in things. I invest in people. So if I listen and I hear that so-and-so is a really, really good uh, technician and he has a YouTube channel or he is working on his own to help other people or he is being a source, I'm going to do what I can to help them. So I offer scholarships. Uh, I pay for, you know, Sandra Juarez knows that. I worked with, with uh, Paul Danner on that, you know, Scanner Danner. Um, th- there's a lot of people. I don't, I don't want there's, to – there's a growing number of people that I work with. When it comes down to it, if we find that there's a technician, or I find there's a technician that has the drive to, to succeed, to be better. The only problem is he doesn't have the dough. Well, if I can help, I'm going to help. It's not like I, I cut him a check and say, here's, you know, here's a thousand dollars or something like that. But what is it you need to help you? So that's the reason why I, I, I do the stuff that I do, because I want this profession to be seen in the regard that I think that it should be, you know, next to somebody's house or potentially their kid's education, their automobile is their second or the third highest cost item, right? You buy a new car. Um, The people who take care of that are directly responsible for the safety of those occupants. That's a big deal, right? Because that's that's, that's the car that's bringing the baby home from the hospital after it's born. That's the car that's carrying um, people to their final resting place, you know, when it, when it's, that's the, no matter from beginning to end, from birth to death, you need to get food. Unless you're in a city with mass transit, you're taking your car and the people who take care of that are important members of society. You know, I, I hate the idea and it, it ticked me off where, you know, I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe, where if you, the image was of Goober. Sure. You know, it's, I'm sorry, but that, that isn't, that's simply not the case. You have uh, complex electrical systems, you know, ADAS. I don't care what the system is. That's in, you can't be a dummy and do this unless you're going to be a parts changer. And that's a completely different episode. And I hope those guys die with a heart on. But um, <laughs> the, the thing is that if you're going to be a true tech, you want to call yourself a true mechanic, that's great. You're providing a, an invaluable service to society. And if you don't think so, have all the guys who turn wrenches stop. Watch this country come to a screeching MF and halt in a short period of time. Well, and I think this the whole COVID thing kind of proved that point as well. And I tell this to my students right now, too, is, hey, you know, feel about it how you want, but we are essential. And, and obviously, you know, the entire country agreed with that, that we got to keep going into work and fixing cars. It it is a very important job. And like you said, it wasn't always seen in that light and maybe still isn't by some people that aren't as close to the industry as we are, but 
you know, for us as technicians and students coming into this and shop owners, I think it is a point where we can take a little bit of pride in what we do that we do. We, we're moving people to and from wherever they need to go. Heck, even if you're staying at home and you're not driving, you're probably ordering packages off Amazon that come in a truck or DoorDash that comes in a car or you're going somewhere in an Uber, whatever it is, there's, you know, until they invent a transporter, we're going to be important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately it comes down to it. Even if you're staying at home and all that, God forbid you got to go to the hospital and it's not an emergency. And look, the ambulance has got to be maintained, right? If you need yep. that, if you're going to drive yourself to the hospital. And that's the reason I think, you know, society is, has, depicted mechanics as being substandard it's a consolation prize in life right work uh smarter not harder as micro would say that's garbage all right craftsmen built this country and each of the guys who takes pride in his work who goes out of his way to learn more to do more to be better is a craftsman I don't care if he's an oil change kid and it's his second day on the job. If he strives to be a craftsman, if he wants to be a professional, each of us has an obligation to that kid to teach him, to show him so that when he gets older, when he gets to be my age, you know, all this dust, he can pay it forward like I am. Without that obligation, if you don't have a sense of obligation, we're lost, man. We're lost. Yeah, being able to give back when you're when you're able, when you're to that point, whatever it is, um, I think that is a responsibility. You know, whether it's this occupation or another, um, I've always felt that, and it's why I went into teaching. I mean, I like helping people, but I really do feel you know, the, the industry that has provided for me and my family and allowed me to live comfortably. I feel like I have to give back to that in some way, you know, whatever way makes sense for me. For me, it's teaching and doing this podcast. Um, maybe it helps someone even in a small way. I, I think that's worth it, but that, you know, where people can find that ability everybody's got different skills and talents and interests. They should be seeking that out at some point throughout their career. Um, it's, it, it's, it ends up being very self-rewarding too. You're helping other people, but it's a good thing for yourself in the long run too. Um, I don't know. It make, makes me feel good to be able to help people, I guess. Yeah. It's called a servant's heart, right? I mean, the, the whole thing is I, I got in business so that I could make money so that I could feed my family. But my primary reason for getting in business was not the money alone. I got in business doing this business because I knew I could fall back on it if I needed it. And that's what happened. I had to because of a medical issue. All right. Not a problem. How can I be of service to the people that are in my community? And my attitude is if I'm of service to the people in my community and I do a good job, the business will come. I don't seek to get the money first. I seek to get the relationship first and the money will follow. That's the nature of a relationship-based business. Unfortunately, the big box stores, like the one that you mentioned that I won't mention, they don't care about that. They're transactional, and they need car count volume 
get the car in, get the car, get the cheapest damn part on it that you can get on it, charge as much as you can charge for that, and then offer a, a whopping 12-month, 12 12,000-mile 12, warranty. Really? I was doing that crap like eight years ago. We're at 336. So if I'm at 336 and I'm a, you know, a small shop in, in North Carolina, tell me why these big box stores can't. Well, they can. They just don't want to because they know they'd be doing too much damn warranty work because they're choosing cheap shit parts. Right? I mean, that's yes. the way it works. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Lots of doormans going out the door there. Yeah, yeah, you know, or you call it whatever you want, all right? But, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I want – I'm tired of the outside world seeing what we do as being less than an honorable profession. And the only way that I know that I can do my part to leave this world a little better than when I arrived is to encourage excellence and to put my money where my mouth is by helping those who are helping others. That's it. That's it. Education is the name of the game. Believing in people, helping them to help themselves, right? What you're doing with this podcast is going to help somebody. What Brandon Dills does, what Justin Morgan does, what Scanner Danner does, all these things, it, and Matt Scundrich, I could name a hundred names. There isn't enough time for guys that go out of their way to help others, right? David Friend runs an outstanding ADAS school at his shop in Wilmington, right? I bet, and he would never tell you, but um, you know how much time he's donated in helping other people? And that's just one guy. And every one of the guys I mentioned, the same thing. All they want to do is bring the industry forward, right? Too many names to, to, to name. And if I've left somebody out, please, I'm not trying to, to insult anybody, but there is a growing group of people that want to do what I'm doing. I'm just getting, not you know, I'm getting noticed for doing this, but I've been doing this for 15 years. Before social media, nobody knew except the people that were the recipients. Yeah, it's a ripple effect, too. Uh, when you start doing this sort of thing and you help somebody else out, I feel like that person is more inclined to do the same for someone else, whether it's immediate or it's down the road. Um, it, it keeps building and building. That's why it's so important to do it in the first place so you can start that. But the opposite's true as well if you treat people like shit they're probably gonna treat somebody else like shit because that's how it is you know that's how mm -hmm. it works in this industry um and so you know each one of us can take that responsibility and start helping somebody else out you know that's close to them work work within your circle what you're able to do and any little bit is going to spread to that next person and keep growing and growing. So, uh, yeah, that's I'll tell you what, man, that's, that's inspiring for sure. So you know what you've got to say, you've got to, you're going to strike out a lot. You're going to invest a lot of time in people and it's going to wind up coming back and kicking you in the balls. All right. Because they're going to look out for themselves, but you yeah. got to keep on, you got to keep on swinging. If, if you want the change to occur, you can bitch about it and nothing ever happens or you can bitch about it and do something. At least you'll have earned the right to bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
right? <laughs> you got to make still sure that you still bitch about it, though, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, look what field we're in, all right? You know, I'm not going to just sit there and suck it up for that. <laughs> when it comes down to it, you have to, to be the change you want to see in others. That's it. You want the industry to improve? Get up off your ass. Shut the fucking game off on TV. Go get your head in the books and prove your worth to your employer, right? No more than the next guy. You know, learn to be better at what you do. And if he don't appreciate it, if he don't appreciate it, fuck him because he's going to be out of business soon anyway, right? This BS, the way that they're running now um, and have been running with, with having the lowest common denominator in the shop, right? and feeding them work because they make more per, per hour in doing that. Why is there the tech shortage? There's a tech shortage because owners aren't stepping up to the MF and plate because they're, they're scared to charge. Or, the worst yet, they're scared to go in their own fucking pocket because they're always pushed for, to get more money, right? You were at a, at a mm-hmm. store Every year, they want to see increased sales, increased sales, year over, year over, year over. Okay, last year, we had a 15% net operating profit. We want 20 this year. We want 22. We want to maintain 26. How come we did, your store didn't as, do as well as the store down the street? And they do this, this BS. In the interim, you've got a man who's got a family, and he's getting treated like a number, and he gets disgusted. And he was a great guy with great ability. But because he has, he's been beat down, he decides to leave the field and the industry suffers. Screw that. You better take care of your techs. You better take care of your people. But if you're a tech, you can't be lazy. You're going to be lazy? Kiss my ass. Right? I don't need you. Show me you want to learn and I'll, I'll make it worth your while. And that's the lesson that we're trying to teach at ASOG with owners. These guys are not your adversary. They're not an impediment to profitability. Right. They're the reason you're freaking profitable, you moron. <laughs> Treat them better. Raise your rate. Right? Learn to be more efficient so that, you know, you don't necessarily have to have increased sales to net more money if you're more efficient. Learn how to spend your money wisely. Yeah, these are the things that, yeah, I'm kind of passionate about this. because <laughs> I can I'm, tell. <laughs> I'm just tired of seeing guys, you know, I worked for big corporations. I know what it's like to be a number. I had an employee number and that's what I was. And you work for the big chain stores or you work even for the small independent guy who has no clue how to run a business, but because shit runs downhill and you're the last guy standing in the bay, you're the one that catches it in a bucket. Well, if the guy knew what the fuck he was doing to begin with and how to run a goddamn business, then you wouldn't be there holding a bucket of shit. You'd be holding a bucket of coin, right? You'd be having Jack in your hand. But because the owner doesn't get it, he can't pay you. Screw that. Get paid. Sorry, I got on my soapbox. Fuck it. That's all, that's all good. I love it. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's going to be very good for somebody to hear. I know a lot of technicians listen to this podcast and, you know, to see it from that perspective is important because I remember when I was a very young technician, I didn't even know what was out there as far as who I could work for and what a shop was supposed to look like. And I just took what I had and I worked for some really crappy people. I I did. Um, And I had to go through that. I had to trudge through that and eventually get to the point where I could 
you know, determine the kind of shop and the kind of person I want to work for. Um, so, you know, maybe somebody <laughs> can hear this and, uh, you know, start to look for, you know, the right person or encourage the person that they do work for. Like, hey, you know, there's, there's things you can do. There, there's ways you can improve your business. We can be better as a shop uh, if you're willing to learn and grow and look into this sort of thing. So um, I, I think that's, that's a great message to, for a lot of people to hear. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, I want everybody, I want shop owners to be successful. The more successful a shop owner is where he doesn't feel the pressure, the, the, the crushing pressure of not knowing whether he's going to make a paycheck for the week that everything rolls downhill. Right. So if he knows he's going to make his money and he can, share that money with his employees because he's not a greedy fuck. He wants to pay them. Again, there's no reason where an ATEX shouldn't be making hundred K a year, 40 hours a week. And I'd love to tell you that I, I, I could pay my tech for working 40 hours a week now and, and pay him 50 bucks an hour or, you know, so that he, he winds up making uh, $2,000 a week for doing that, for being in it. I can't afford to do that. I'm going to be straight up. Is that my goal to be able to do that? Yes. Why can't I afford to do that? I can't afford to do that because I have to educate the public because we have to educate techs to say, quit doing side work unless it's a matter of you're not going to eat because every time you do the side work, which we've talked about before, yeah, you get lying in your pockets with a few dollars now, but you're costing yourself thousands in the long run, right? These are the things you have to think of the long-term consequences. Now, my shop, like I said, it's today is what, Thursday? And one of my guys says yesterday had 53 hours by Wednesday. So he'll do great this week, right? But he's here from 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. Wouldn't it be better if he could be from 8 to 4? You know, so that's the reason I push as hard as I do. I want this to be thought of as a profession. I want to encourage the guys that have the spark of ambition to be ambitious, to help them so that they can turn around and help others like you're doing. Because without this podcast, right, without this, who's going to be reached? Let's say podcasts didn't exist. Does anything change between now and last year? Podcasts, no, they didn't exist. We'll pretend they were never invented. What state is the industry in? probably the same it's been in <laughs> right so if you and it's not like you're going to go do this and a hundred thousand people are going to go oh geez well you know owners and techs and we're going to change your attitude no you may get one or two but yeah. change starts small so i'm i'm patient nah not really but i'll wait <laughs> i've been doing this for a while just uh keep chipping away at it that's all you got to do is just work every single day to chip away. And, and, and I look at what I've been able to accomplish in the industry with others by providing them with the things that they need. And that makes me feel good because I don't need a boat. I don't need a house on the beach. I need to know that when I leave this place, it's better than when I came in. I'm going to do it. Stand in my way. Fuck you. I'll piss on your leg. I don't care. <laughs> I'm at the point that's a benefit of being my age I don't, I legitimately don't give a shit. It don't matter to me. Want to hate me? Stand in line. <laughs> don't matter. Well, I, I can't imagine that line's too long. <laughs> oh, no, are you kidding me? I piss a lot of people off. 
you know, in a PC culture, people don't like hearing shit like this. They don't. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I mean, it's just the way it is. Well, uh, did you have any other points you want to touch on? I think that's a pretty good place to cap this off unless you got anything else. No, man, just listen. If you're going to do any, if if the audience is primarily text because this is for text, Mm -hmm. don't sell yourself short, man. Learn as much as you can to become the most valuable you can be either for yourself as an owner and, you know, maybe on down the road or as an integral part of your team because nobody can ever take that knowledge away from you. Your hands can turn arthritic. Your back can hurt. You can get cramp up your legs at night. You can do all this sort of crap, but nobody can ever take that knowledge away from you. If you have that knowledge, let's say, God forbid, you get really bad arthritis. Now you can't turn wrenches anymore. Well, now you can become a service writer because you've got knowledge of the business, of gross profit margin, of what the business takes to run. You can transfer over if you're a decent writer and make money. Knowledge is going to be helpful to you. Always strive for education. That, that football player you're watching on TV that earns X amount of dollars, he don't give a rat's ass if you fail or not. Invest in yourself. That's it. Take care of yourself. Invest in yourself. You'll do okay. All right. One more big thank you to Dutch for coming on the show with me today. Uh, I really enjoyed that talk. Uh, It really is inspiring to see people out there who love this industry and that are doing everything they can to improve it. Uh, He's clearly one of those people. So uh, I also like to say thank you to everyone that's listening. Hopefully you are enjoying the content. But other than that, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.